Hello and welcome to another mini-sode. Today, we are giving an update on the federal vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, what it means for rural hospitals, and what's next. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm Gigi Hutchire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So, JJ, we are back after taking last week off for the first time in the history of Rural Health Rising. You know what felt good? Uh, it did. Even though I missed the opportunity to be in the room and record, it has been one heck of a year. And uh, I think maybe a week break may have done us some good. I think we're charged up. We're, I think so, too. We're ready. We're ready for 2022. Yes. We're fresh. Uh, yep. In our last episode, we talked about what is on the docket for mm-hmm. 2022. So that was right before last week. Mm-hmm. And I think we outlined for our community and for America what the goals are for Rural Health Rising and mm-hmm. advocating for rural health on every spectrum. Right. So whether it's local, state, or federal, uh, we need to advocate for rural health. And I think that's that's very, very important in what our mission is. So speaking of uh, advocating, and you mentioned uh, local, state, or federal, since our last update on the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, um, that was at the very tail end of November um, when there was a stay put on or, or an injunction, I guess, depending on which, which mandate you're looking at, whether it's OSHA or um, CMS, which is for healthcare workers. Um, so there was a pause, essentially, on the uh, requirement to get staff vaccinated or approved exemptions for uh, healthcare providers participating in Medicare and Medicaid. Um, that is back in play now. It is. So what's the latest? Well, so surprisingly, Rachel, and I say surprisingly because uh, if we look at what happened, the reason they issued the stay, uh, and in particular, as we look at it in healthcare, we're looking at the CMS mandate. The CMS mandate says basically that if you accept Medicaid, Medicare dollars, you have to comply with their rules. Right. And so they issued a rule. And, and as, this is not the only rule. They're doing oh, this under <laughs> under a standard yeah. part of uh, their operation yeah. under conditions of participation. Correct. And, and we call those conditions of participation uh, rules as mandates for the hospital. Because mm-hmm. if we do not follow them, we don't get reimbursed. Right. And that's 70% of our revenue. Right. So understanding that CMS regulates and they can establish uh, certain rules for participating in their program. And so as we know, and history tells us, uh, they said – your employees had to be vaccinated or uh, they must have a legitimate exemption. Now, those exemptions are twofold. Number one, medical. Mm-hmm. Number two, deeply held beliefs. We want to say religious, but really it's it's any deeply held belief. Mm-hmm. So we're chugging along. We put out the memorandum to our staff. It looks like it's going to happen. Then there was some, some court chatter. Mm-hmm. And 10 states basically sued the administration and said, you can't do this. Uh, in OSHA, and they put a stay on it. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, they were waiting for the higher courts to rule. And CMS said, put the brakes on. Right. Um, They said, we're not going to enforce this at this time. Until we know. Now, I really thought that we would not know anything until after the Supreme Court ruled. Right. But what they did is instead, late last week, Thursday night, in Mm -hmm. fact, they issued a um, mandate, and the mandate was we're going to continue moving forward with the CMS mandate Mm -hmm. that you have to be vaccinated or you must have some exemption uh, that you've demonstrated. Now, understand that the exemptions 
we were already moving through this, right? Right. So we we had put out to our staff the the clear guidelines under mm-hmm. which deeply held beliefs or religion and medical and what two areas that they could receive an exemption. And so we were moving forward mm-hmm. and uh, that was already in the process, but we suspended it when they said we're not going to enforce it. But right. when last week came, it was out of left field. I got to be honest right. with you. Right. Because none of Just our associations— all of a sudden it was, now we are going to enforce it. That was absolutely. really essentially the message. Right. And we got it from a uh, basically a Google alert, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, our association didn't alert us. You know, we heard nothing on our national association uh, that night right. and that day. And so it was alarming because I think everybody was like, wait a minute. There's still right. this issue going on over here with OSHA and mm-hmm. these other states. Well, they're they're not concerned about that. They're going to let those states take care of themselves. Right. The judge has ordered the stay on those cases for OSHA. And so they're going to continue that. But Michigan was one of the states that CMS said, we're going to continue to enforce it. Right. So we just happened to be... At the wrong place, maybe at the right time, Uh, (laughs) however you look at it. Because we have said on this program, we believe in vaccination. It is critical to get us out of this pandemic. Absolutely. However, a mandate for the vaccine is a different story for rural America, for Mm -hmm. rural health. And the reason for that is, is because by virtue of rule, typically your rural hospital will embody the ideas and beliefs of the community. Right. Your workforce reflects your community. It does. And when our community is at what percentage of vaccination? Um, Under 40. Then what do you think? 39 point something. Right. And what do you think is going to happen in the workforce around us? Not only just in healthcare, right, but in every workforce, it's going to be consistent, 40 to 50%. Right. And so we know that this becomes an employment issue for us. Right. It's, we don't have luxurious pools of people to pull from. Now, Mm -hmm. I have colleagues in the larger cities in the state of Michigan and other places Mm -hmm. that you and I both speak with, and they have what's called a floating RN pool. Right. This is a group of 15 or 20 nurses who travel whenever there's an opening within their system. Are you kidding me? Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, that'd be great. <laughs> but it doesn't exist in rural America. Right. It doesn't. Right. Rural hospitals and, you are know, struggling. Even even those groups are probably strained right now at the big systems. So, you know, just with staffing shortages in general with healthcare that we're experiencing across the country. So, you know, if that's becoming an issue for them, you know it's becoming a bigger issue for us because it was a bigger it was an issue for us before. A major issue. And so when you look at the mandate, so we support vaccines. We don't support the mandate. We don't support the mandate because we know that people will exit. We've already heard this. We know what's happening. Mm -hmm. We can look historically over the last several months at hospitals that went ahead of the CMS mandate. Right. And they implemented the mandatory requirement for vaccination and they had an exit. And so we know we've had people tell us directly, um, I'm going to get out of the healthcare industry altogether because no one's going to tell me that I have to be vaccinated. I'll go work for a company under 100. Mm -hmm. Because the greater issue is, as we look at these small rural communities and they're impacted by a low number of vaccination in their community, you know, that's who we draw upon for nursing staff. But let's just not think about nursing staff, Rachel. Mm -hmm. We're talking all of staff because here's what happened on November 18th. On November 18th, CMS defined additional rules to define vendors. Right. And vendors are anyone whether they touch a patient or not, whether they come in right. to a patient area or not, if they come into your facility on a regular, i.e. more than one day a week, if mm-hmm. they come into your facility on a regular basis, they also have to follow this mandate. Right. Which is very hard because, you know, you have to, I guess it also will depend on what what happens with OSHA, but they might already have to be vaccinated because of that. Um, but if they have an exception with their own employer, 
We don't have a record of that, no. you know, and we don't have a record of their vaccination status. So that's going to be, you know, a challenge, I think, to monitor for all hospitals, but particularly rural hospitals. And we already have a check-in system Absolutely. for our vendors. We have an electronic system for when they when they come in so we know who's been here. Right. But it just is, you know, adding another layer of difficulty well, to this. Well, it is. Plus, picture this. We shop local. Mm-hmm. We support our local economy. Right. Most of the businesses that we support are under 100. Right. So the majority of our vendors w- won't, won't even, have the mandate. They won't have the mandate, right. but we're going to mandate it. That's where the that's where the yeah. confusion is, because then they're going to say, wait a minute, we don't have to do this. This is and then now it's going to impact their workforce because they're right. going to have to go to their workforce and say, well, we don't mandate it, but the hospital does because of CMS. And now you have to get vaccinated. Right. So that is the concern that I have as the CEO seated in my chair. I'm looking around at the environment. Mm-hmm. I, I buy local, which means I'm buying from companies of 50 and 40 and 20 the, let's think about the paper product vendors we work with oh, yeah. down at Aeroswift. We're talking right. maybe five employees, yep. six employees, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and other places around here. So they are not mandated under OSHA. So right. what is their stance normally, typically, where it's going to be? Hey, doesn't apply to us. We're not enforcing it, right? Right. And so now they have to come into our environment with a small staff. Now he's got to tell those staff, if you set foot on the hospital grounds on a regular basis, which is delivering once a week, then you have to be compliant. So this isn't just reaching nurses. That's my point. My point is it reaches our environmental services workers. It Mm -hmm. reaches everybody that comes into this hospital to work. Right. The entirety of our operation. The The only people who are truly fully exempt from this are patients and visitors who come into the hospital. That's it. And even looking at visitors, you know, we have strict restrictions on them. Mm -hmm. We don't require mandate for them to be vaccinated, but we screen them. And they do have to wear a mask. And they have to wear a mask. So all of these restrictions for mandatory is where we find the concern. So CMS comes out and they say in advance of what's going to happen this week. Which is the Supreme Court. Yep. On January 7th, the Supreme Court begins to hear opening oral arguments uh, regarding the mandate. And, you know, that's why I thought, Rachel, we're a little premature with this, because what happens if the Supreme Court comes back, it's a law of the land, and says that, in fact, it cannot be enforced. Um, But I guess, you know, CMS is hedging their bets, looking Mm -hmm. at what the Supreme Court has done in two other cases. Uh, and they've ruled in favor of that the mandate can move forward. Right. So maybe they're hedging their bets on that, and they're moving that forward. The The good news for us is when we suspended it, America suspended it, basically, right. because CMS said, don't enforce it. Mm-hmm. Um, all hospitals did that, the ones that had not already previously enacted it. So they did, the good news for us is they did move the deadline. Right. So now we're looking at January 27th and mm-hmm. February 28th, roughly, in which we have to hit first dose, second dose, or if it's a first dose like Johnson Johnson, then you have to hit it by that first deadline, or you have to have had approval for your exemption Mm -hmm. before that January date. So the the timeline has been moved to support, obviously, the collection of this information. Mm -hmm. But what we missed and what we didn't see is because no one was talking about this after the stay was issued is the vendors. Mm -hmm. Now we've got to go through as hospitals Rural Hospitals America that's working with small companies across their communities. And now we have to go and meet with each of those vendors and tell them what the mandate is. And Rachel, I got the printout. It's 28 pages long of vendors that we work with. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Because it's in everything. I mean, just imagine it's the milk we get, it's the groceries, it's everything Mm -hmm. that we have with vendors. Now, we'll pare that list down probably to, you know, seven or eight pages. That's a lot of vendors. Right. So now we have to individually go to those vendors and say, now you have this deadline. Yeah. January and February. Mm -hmm. There is no way out of it. Right. And what happens is- And until you're compliant, you can't be on campus. Bingo. And what will happen is, how does this get audited is often questioned to me. Like, Mm -hmm. JJ, you think the federal government's going to come down to your small hospital? Uh, Yeah, and here's how they do it. We go through a triannual inspection. Right. Every three years. We go through an inspection. That's how you become an accredited hospital. Which we are. As opposed to just, you know. Joe's, you know, mom and pop shop. Yeah, right. (laughs) But but we are accredited, and it's through HVAP. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some choose different accreditation bodies. We have HVAP. And HVAP is an agent of CMS, and what they do is they come in and they will make sure that we are complying with all of the conditions of participation for CMS. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, we have CMS monitoring us through our compliance, through HVAP accreditation, and what HVAP, and guess what? We just happen to be in the window. Yep. Where HVAP's coming in the next Our few months. Our window opened, what, right as yeah. the uh, original deadline was supposed exactly. to, to come in, right there, end of November, yep. early December, our window so, opened. So again, they could show up anytime. They could show up right now. JJ's in the right Knock time. Knock on wood. The wrong place. But here we go. Now, most hospitals just went through their accreditation, so they weren't looking for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you went through accreditation in 2020, 2021, you're not up for a while. Right. Because uh, typically it's every three years. Right. Some are every other year. Some are every year. But, you know, every three years. And so looking at this, um, they're going to verify. They're going to ask. They're going to pull employee files. They're going to pull vendor files. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at physician files. And they're going to monitor. And And if there is any fallout, we will have a violation of one of the the many conditions of participation, which means they will notify CMS. CMS will put us on notice. And they will remove our money. And so hospitals like ours, Rachel... You know, we no one can afford that, right? right? Right. And so it becomes a major issue. Now, that's CMS. We still are regulated by OSHA too, mm-hmm. which means the fines and penalties that they're assessing to all these other companies. We also are subjected to that, which means companies over a hundred end up with fines and violations every day, five thousand dollars per occurrence. That will add up very Ugh. quickly. Well, imagine it. And, you know, originally when all of this came out, OSHA essentially said they would not be enforcing their rule on any entities that were covered by the CMS rule. But if um, the Supreme Court rules differently on those two things, you let's say, don't... for example, the CMS rule is struck down, but the OSHA rule, OSHA stands, rule stands, then we still we're have subjected to, to, it. to yes. comply with that. So. We're, we're subjected to all of the rules of OSHA. Right. Now, to your point, it's not double jeopardy. We can't get penalized by both of them. Right. Because when they remove, you know, like $70 million from you, that's pretty much, you know, game over. Right. So to your point, if the Supreme Court, for whatever reason, rejects the CMS mandate, but upholds the OSHA mandate because they're two, they are two separate issues. Right, right. Let's not forget that. Right. Then what could happen is we're still subjected to OSHA, mm-hmm. which means a requirement stays. Now, the only benefit about OSHA versus CMS that we would say in rural health is under OSHA, you can test in lieu of the vaccination. Right. Right. There is a test out option. That's it. For healthcare, it's mandatory. Right. You get only the exemptions. Right. As the opportunity. And we have many people that will tell us, I, I had uh, an employee tell me, JJ, I, I'm not religious and I have no medical reason. 
And so I'm not going to lie and put that I have any religious or deeply held belief. I just don't want to do it. So where that would benefit us in in the OSHA rule is we would just say, all right, you don't have to get vaccinated, just test. but you're going to test. Right. Now, that's rural health today. Mm-hmm. This impacts not just Hillsdale County, not just Hillsdale, Michigan. This impacts every rural community that has the same challenges, Rachel, that you and I do here. And that is a, a short labor force. Right. Um, a we, we know about the great resignation. Mm-hmm. And that's happening across the country. Now, what we know is these individuals are leaving six months, eight months, a year, two years, because they just need a break. Right. They've been mentally drained. Mm-hmm. They're exhausted. There's fatigue right. at every level that you go around. And so the question is, how long can you keep doing this? Well, the way to end the pandemic is to have the community vaccinated. Right. And to safeguard our community through those measures. We believe wholeheartedly that that is of the most important that we can do as a hospital is to continue to promote vaccination. But we have to be realistic mm-hmm. in, in what we face also, that a mandate will destroy certain portions of rural health in America. Right. It will. Right. It will it will really it, it will lead to the closure of it will. services. Yes, it and will. And it is likely to also lead to the closure yeah. of certain hospitals. And you know, I was thinking about this this morning. And you know I like to think in metaphors you and do. analogies because that's how I understand how things understand. and how I explain things. Um but you know I the first word that came to mind was perfect storm of the you know Reintroducing this mandate means that we will lose staff. I'm sure most hospitals will lose staff. Already happening. um, In in what's already a short labor force. In rural, but Hillsdale County in particular, Mm -hmm. we have a low vaccination rate. Um, And now we have this variant, Omicron, that is highly transmissible. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the the preliminary information that's coming out, it's still early to really make any solid conclusions. But so far, it appears that... While it may not be as severe, um, there still are people who are going to be hospitalized, even if the hospitalization rate is lower, because it is so transmissible, the number of people who get it is going to be so much higher that you we will probably see a higher hospitalization rate or at least the same of what we saw with the Delta variant. So right now, we really aren't seeing that wildfire Omicron just, just, yet just yet here. Um, but you know, so I was thinking, okay, the perfect storm. And then I was like, but right now it's almost like we're in the eye of the hurricane because we are the, you know, we just came through the first part of the storm, which was our highest surge with Delta. And we've been pretty low on our, our COVID numbers for the last maybe two weeks or so. But with Omicron, we're going to be now on the other side of the storm. So right now, it's like it's not even the calm before the storm. It's the eye of the hurricane. The of the we're, hurricane. we're in the middle and we are waiting for the next phase to happen. Well, that's a beautiful analogy of what we face. And it's not made up. Right. The reality of it is, Rachel, when the mandate is here, so we have to assume it is. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Supreme Court takes a month. To right. decide. It, the mandate's here. Right. And it's We're too late. beyond the date. It's too late. Mm-hmm. So it's still, you still are losing people. Right. right. And so for rural health, we say it's the storm, the perfect storm, uh, because when we lose our staff, we can't take care of patients. Right. Those patients either end up boarded in the emergency department mm-hmm. or we're trying to find beds in other states. Right. Do you know 
that in the last two months, I have arranged transports to four other states yes. to get patients out mm-hmm. of our hospital. Mm-hmm. And I spoke True to one of our ER story. physicians at seven o'clock on a Tuesday night, uh, probably a month ago, who was trying to find a place for a patient, not even a COVID patient, no. a patient who needed a care that's totally unrelated to COVID. He had called 40 hospitals as far away as Iowa we and did. could not find a We've place. We've tried Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. You name it, we've tried it in 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 what we would say is the surrounding states. Right. And so now you're going to compound that issue mm-hmm. because you're going to have less hospital beds that are staffed by nurses right, right. and that can be cleaned by environmental services workers. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. just think of it as nurses. Yeah. And Understand, it's not physical beds. It's not physical you know, beds. It's not just it's the bed staffed. Is, is it staffed, right? Do you have, we have plenty of beds, but do we have the nurses to take care of the patients that are going to be in mm-hmm. the beds? Mm-hmm. But let's think beyond nursing, as I shared before. It's, you got to turn the rooms over quickly. Right. You got to make sure that you got respiratory therapists that are going to be, you got to make sure that you have enough x-ray folks uh, to take, you have to make sure there's enough lab uh, technicians mm-hmm. to make sure they're pro- All of these play into the continuum of care that we need to keep patients safe and to take care of them Mm -hmm. while they're here. We can't do that if any one of those groups were not, you know, functioning the way that they do. Absolutely. They're all equally important. So when you say storm, all right, it's hurricane. Yeah. It's like helter skelter. It's gale force winds, it huge is. waves on the coast. I mean, it's it's rough. And it just is, I just have this sense of right now, while we're waiting for Omicron to hit, it's like that just right in the middle where it's quiet and then it's not. It is. And I, I fear, so I see what's happening to the north of us in Michigan. And it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're experiencing a uh, hike uh, in, in some of their numbers. Mm-hmm. But what else we're challenged with here in Michigan, as around the country, is the federal government uh, shutting down certain access to us for monoclonal therapies. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic, too, because the way that we kept them out of the hospital once they were within that 10-day period was you give them the monoclonal therapies right. and then they don't readmit your hospital. So um, picture now the gale winds because here we've got patient presents. They're within that 10-day window. We don't have the monoclonal therapies. Other hospitals are overwhelmed and short supply mm-hmm. because that's what's going on right, right. now. Right. Short supply. And we're faced with a new variant we've not dealt with yet. Right. We haven't experienced it, Rachel. No. But the other news is I don't know when we're going to know we've got it because we don't test every case. Right, right. I think the the only real um, way that we can assume that we're now being affected by Omicron would be the rate of new cases if, if it's the transmissibility that we're, that we're looking at. I mean, eventually we'll know because a percentage of tests are um, sequenced to determine what variant they are. But you're right. It's not every test. And before we know it's here, it'll be here. It could be here right now. And we just haven't seen it catch yet. Yep, absolutely. And so it will, whether it's next week or the week there. So here we've got our concerns that we're basically petitioning the federal government with and saying, you can't mandate this. Right. You can't. Because all of these factors come into play. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the patient suffers. Exactly. The outcome of the patient's health is far worse 
than if we do not implement these mandates. Why? Right. Because of access. Mm-hmm. Access is always our issue in rural health, right? Right. I don't have access. I don't have a car. I can't get to the to my physician, specialty physician that's 50 miles away. So patients suffer and or die. Right. These are true stories in right. rural America. Oh, yeah. And so we are petitioning the government saying, listen to rural health. Right. We are saying to you, that we have the perfect storm that has been created by the federal government. You've stopped the supply chain for monoclonals. We're limiting the number of people that we can give them to. We are faced with uh, unprecedented volumes of COVID patients than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying I can't take care of them because healthcare in general, not just nurses, but healthcare in general has to follow this mandate. Oh, Rachel, this is awful. And in the middle of all that, Hospitals that are canceling elective surgeries because Mm -hmm. that's what will happen. If you don't have enough beds upstairs, you know what you do? You shut your surgery suite down and you use those OR nurses and those scrub techs and you put all those people in place Mm -hmm. and they're taking. So now we have more of a compounded problem. Why? Because hospitals depend upon that revenue to survive in their OR. So pretty soon now they're operating without cash. It is every storm you can imagine as Mm -hmm. a result of the mandate. And we're not drama. We, we don't right. believe in like, oh, the sky is falling. Right. But we have to be real in our discussions today. Right. We have to be with American people. and honest. And yes. this, is, this is just the reality. This um, is what we face. And it's it's more than unfortunate. You know, I mean, whatever the strongest way to yeah. say that is, it's just it, it's a problem that we're either going to see the devastating effects of or that is somehow going to get solved by the Supreme Court. Um, it appears right now that it is highly unlikely that the administration, the presidential administration, is going to change um, their their position on this. We we hope they do, and mm-hmm. we're advocating as much as we can. Um, our associations, our, our National Rural Health Association, congressional leaders, Mr. Wahlberg, um, right, right, all we're, of those folks, we're you know doing everything we can to advocate and to communicate why this is such a such a problem. Um, I I don't know if it's going to make a difference or not. Well, so it's, you know, the wait and see is a little, it's it's an uncomfortable position to be in because you're just a little on edge. Little. Because you know, some, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're quite on, quite edge on edge because, again, it's like you're just waiting for it. Well, my whole You know revenue, it's coming. You don't know when, but you know it's soon. The whole revenue stream is impacted by this. Right. Quality patient care is impacted by this. And so early on in my studies for my undergraduate uh, at Hillsdale College, we learned, my major was political economy, economics, and classics, Latin, et cetera. But we learned in one of our uh, classes, Dr. Mickey Craig, all forms of government are local. And we have to think about that. You know, the federal government doesn't need to tell Hillsdale Hospital what to do. Now, now I want to quantify that because here's the deal. And I say quantify, not qualify. I want to quantify it because of the in value for Hillsdale. Mm. We're much different than a larger jurisdiction, larger cities, larger hospital systems, because they have the staff. Mm-hmm. They have the the larger pocketbooks. Right. Quantify it for me means every day that I miss my OR, we impact our revenue stream significantly. Right. I, I can't fall back on old cash, as they call it, yeah. you know, or, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and, and years of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. You know, those do, that does no longer exist in right. healthcare. So we quantify it by saying the form of government 
that's local in this case. We've got to look at our economy here mm-hmm. in Hillsdale, mm-hmm. different than California, right. different than even Ann Arbor. Now, sure. I have a friend who runs a hospital not really too far away. 90% of his staff are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Congrats. You live in yeah. an environment, in a culture where probably 75 to 80% of your community is vaccinated. Right. But here, it's different. Right. And we have to quantify that based on the number of people that we have that refuse to get vaccinated mm-hmm. in the community and in healthcare. Right. We have to be mindful of right. that. Right. It's not the same. We do have more, uh, a higher percentage of our staff are Correct. vaccinated than our community members. Absolutely. When we look at the county as a whole, but it's still not um, enough where these issues aren't very real, They're real and present for us here in Hillsdale. Yes. So we have every opportunity to advocate for Hills. I can't advocate for Ann Arbor or Detroit. They're in a totally different situation. Right. Just like I've said on this program early on when we challenged the governor, if I was sitting in a CEO's chair in Detroit during the time the governor shut down elective surgeries, I probably would be in a different position than I was in my chair here saying, we can do this here. Right. We don't we need to shut down our electives. Huge numbers we of COVID. Don't. We didn't have COVID patients we admitted to the hospital. We didn't for months and months and months. Right. We didn't see it. And so that it worked for Hillsdale. And, and the purpose of quantifying it is our numbers look much different than those around us. So when I say every form of government needs to be local, we need to handle this from a local basis because right. my colleagues can mandate it and they get away with it. Mm-hmm. I mandate it. I got anger. I got resignations. And I got a collapsed healthcare system, which as the third largest employer in this community, so goes the hospital, so goes Hillsdale. Mm-hmm. So goes Hillsdale Hospital. So goes, and then name it local businesses. Because how many Mm -hmm. do we support? The local grocery store, the paper companies, all of those things. So it has much more impact in our community than if we were to implement this in Detroit. Right. Or if we were to implement this in Chicago, or if we were to implement this in San Francisco, because it's a different environment. And it angers me, Rachel, to think that Washington thinks that everybody has to be cast on the same lot, because we can't be. Right. We shouldn't be. Right. Well, and it we know the the challenges that this is going to pose for rural hospitals, especially knowing that rural hospitals already struggle. And to do this anyway kind of feels like, well, we don't really care all that much if rural hospitals yep. close, which means we don't really care all that much if rural Americans have access to health care. So, and that's 20 percent of our entire country's population. Ding, 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 ding. Which is why we started Rural Health Rising. Right. 130, over 130 hospitals in the last 11 years now, have Mm -hmm. closed. Where have the legislators been? Right. Where are their advocacy efforts? Mm -hmm. You don't hear of it, which is why we started this program, to say we have to be counted. Because in each of those closures, Rachel, communities were devastated. Mm -hmm. Look too far down the road here of a community that was devastated because their hospital closed. Mm -hmm. Never again started back up. Their college was impacted by it. Their downtown development was impacted by it. We know what the catalyst is for a failing community, mm-hmm. a closed hospital. Right. So, Rachel, I think that, you know, we, the passion's in our voice. <laughs> we live it every day. That's why we have the passion. Right. And I guess maybe if you or I worked for a big system with 50, 50 60,000, you know, people, we probably wouldn't even be thinking of this issue, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but one might say, all right, what, what does all this mean, JJ and Rachel? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're listening today, and you're in a rural community. Maybe you're not in a rural community, but you really hear our, our message and our passion. Contact your legislator. 
Yes. Get a hold of your U.S. representative in mm-hmm. Congress, your senator in Congress. Really, it happens at the congressional level. Right. Um, the state level, they're they're not going to be able to address this this mandate issue. And you're going to say, well, it's in the Supreme Court's hand right now. Yes, but enough pressure may change some of the rules that have been set by the Biden administration. Right. And so if you're listening today and you feel that passion, then I would encourage you to reach out to your congressional leaders uh, that represent your district. And you can look at that, Google it, type in your county, and your state, mm-hmm. and you'll find out who they're rep. Send them an email. Say, you know what? I'm hearing about the challenges of rural health today, and I want you to know we need to defend rural health. We mm-hmm. need to fight for rural health like we've never fought before. And while we all agree that vaccines are critical and important to get us out of this pandemic, to mandate those for people who we know will walk is foolish on our part. And so encourage your congressional leaders to hear the voice of the rural health. Thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we talk with an expert on measuring patient experience. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel's at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.